welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Nigel Desmond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I ask that today a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you would be released in this room, Lord God. That as we, as we get into your word together, Lord God, that you would show us clearly who we have been created to be in the earth. That your name may be glorified in us and through us in all the earth, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, um, I'm carrying on the... I'm carrying on the series that I began last week. And um, I've been wanting to really look into the whole idea of identity. Because um, in the world, uh, the, the world has taken this month really to look at identity. Because at the moment in the world, for, um, well not the first time in human history, actually it goes right the way through history. But it really seems to have come to the fore in this time in history where man is trying to craft for themselves a whole host of new identities. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that not all identities are valid identities. And if you, if you don't understand where identity comes from and where it's meant to come from, you will spend your life uh, pursuing identity, pursuing some sense of who you are, and you may end up going to illegitimate places to find out and uh, to get identity and to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? And in actual fact, there are three, the three most important questions that you can ask in your life are these. The first one, obviously, the most important thing is who is God? Who is God? If I could frame that another way, if you're going to frame that in purely philosophical terms, that would be asking the question, what is of ultimate value in life? Alright? Because how you answer the question, what is of ultimate value in life, you will make that thing the center of your existence, and there's a word for that, it's called God. Theists, people who believe in God, would use the term God. Alright? The second question actually comes off of that, it's subsidiary but uh, intimately related, it's the question, who am I? Who am I? Um, who am I? Why do I exist? What, you know, why am I here? Who am I? And uh, that's a really important question. And then the, the final question, which is vitally important, is how do we know? How, how do we know? How do I know that God is God? How do I know that I am who I think I am? And those three questions um, right now are absolutely being hammered in the world. On every different platform, in, uh, in politics, in law, in, edu- uh, in education, in arts and entertainment, in media, um, in every aspect of society, those three questions are being asked. And it's up to believers, it's up to the church to come back into the arena of public opinion with powerful answers. We, we have to 
get back into the public arena and make compelling arguments and give compelling answers to these questions. Because if we don't, people go, nah. And they will go off and find other answers. And when you do that, when you find the wrong answers to these questions, you end up finding uh, that you will break those things in your life. And so, let's start at the beginning of the story and look at what the, uh, where the Bible begins to answer these questions. Turn with me in your Bible, if you brought your Bible, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, I could start right at the beginning, and I'll just mention the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1 is, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, you know, well, actually, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Absolutely phenomenal statement because it implies three things. One, there's a beginning. Two, God, uh, God created, God is the first mover. Three, God created heavens and the earth, uh, matter and um, space. So in that first sentence of the Bible, God sets up that this universe that, uh, that we live in is a time, space, matter universe and He is the first initiator of all things. Unbelievably scientific statement written down in a pre-scientific age. So I'm just going to throw that out there, but that's not really where I want to go. Genesis 1 verse 26 to 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let us rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in His own image. Everyone say in His own image. Okay, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on, uh, on the earth. So this is the first thing the Bible says about you. When, when you begin to understand yourself, this is actually the first. You could actually say, put your name in there and say, and God created Nigel, or God created, put your name in there, in the image of God. So this is the most fundamental beginning of understanding every human being that you will ever meet. You need to understand that no matter how, no matter what someone looks like, what they have done, uh, how... Um, you know, how kind they are, or how ugly they are, how good they are, how sinful they are, um, you know, if, they, if they're nasty to you. If you meet someone, and they are absolutely vicious and nasty to you, even that person, you're looking at the image of God. That's amazing. That's an extraordinary thing. But you, you'll see here, it says, you are an image of God. You are a likeness of God. 
And part of that image and image bearing, he gives three commands. Firstly, he says, rule in the earth. There's something about the God, uh, God's likeness in us, where God created us in His image, but He created us to take dominion on the earth, to, to actually take a stewardship of it. The second part is, male and female, He created them. So right from the beginning, the Bible establishes that your very masculinity, if you're a man, and your very femininity are part of the image of God in the earth. And yes, there are only two genders. There isn't a spectrum. There aren't many. There aren't hundreds. There's two. It's male and female. It's not male, female and. It's two. Male and female in the earth. And then, interestingly, because of this, God says, and he, he says, and you are to multiply, uh, you are be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over Okay. So, when he says, be fruitful and multiply, does everyone understand what God is telling Adam and Eve to do? Do I need to give a lesson here? Do I need to give a biology? So, right here, in the original mandate, God is looking at Adam and Eve and he is saying, go and have sex. <gasps> I think, really, that's the first time a man ever shouted, Hallelujah, in church. He was so excited. Do you want to wanna see here, that my kids are going, oh no, oh, Dad, just move on. Yeah. But listen, I want you to understand, sex is so important to identity, which is the very reason why the enemy is trying to do everything he can to distort and destroy sex. Because right in the original creation of man, was this command, be fruitful and multiply. Because the enemy understands that if he can get into that part of who we created to be, he can actually begin to distort your identity. This is why the enemy is so after sex and sexual identity, because if he can distort that, he can distort your idea of who you are. If he can distort the idea of who you are, he can distort and possibly even destroy the image of God in the earth. You need to understand, Satan hates God and he hates humanity because humanity is made in the image of God. And he wants nothing more than to distort the image of God in the earth and to, uh, to, or to destroy it if, uh, altogether if he can. The image bearing we have is ultimately linked to our ability is intimately linked to our ability to have children. As a, as, you listen, this doesn't mean to say that if you haven't had children, that you're not, you know, that somehow you're less. No, I'm talking corporately. I'm talking corporately. That the ability to multiply and to have children is part of, the, uh, of God's image in us. Why is this important? Because you need to understand... It's amazing what God has done for you and I. He created us in His image and then He gave us the ability to
to reproduce His image in the earth. In childbearing. That is so amazing. I, I want to tell you, this is, it's Father's Day today. And you know, I, I, I can remember that moment of holding my first child in my arms. Where is she? There she is. That, that feeling of looking down in this little face and, and seeing a little bit of me in there. It, it was just overwhelming. And it's interesting, I don't know if other fathers have had this experience, but it's, it's also different like, you know, when you hold a, a little girl in your arms as a dad, I can remember with each of my girls, I felt very protective. I felt like, man, and, you know, like, <laughs> my, my good friend, uh, Jacques, he had his daughter uh, six months before I, I had mine. And, man, he told me this story after Anne-Marie, Heidi's sister, was born. He said, you know, nice. I, I will time. I came back from the hospital. I drove up. And halfway back, I just find tears just coming down my eye. I'm like, why? Dude, why? He said, I, I just thought about it. And I thought, oh, you know what? One day I'm going to have to give her away. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard this story? I, and I, I thought to myself, what a wuss. <laughs> what a wuss. Oh, come on, man. I mean, my big buddy's job, what a wuss. Man, six months later, I'm coming back from the hospital, I'm feeling like, ah, my dad! And this thought hit me. What the heck to give it away? And without even, like, I mean, I, I didn't even think about it, man. I'm like, no way. <laughs> Two years later, I had a son. Totally different reaction. Totally different reaction. I got this boy in my arm. I was going around to all the other guys. Going, ugh, 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 ugh. I mean, something primal came out of me. Something like, ugh, but it's son, ugh. I mean, like with my little girl, I wanted to kind of, you know, just swaddle it. With my son, I kind of wanted to pick him up by his head. Boy, strength of my strength. And it was weird. It was weird. I can't. But there's, there's something. When you see a little bit of yourself reflecting that little bit. But do you know that Father gave that to us? That, it, you know, every time you see a, a mom and a dad, when you see a family, you recognize, wow, God has given us the ability to reproduce His image in all the earth. Now, the Bible teaches that at, uh, in, uh, in the last days, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I want to tell you how that is going to manifest. It's going to manifest as people carrying the glory of God, carrying the presence of God, His image in all the earth, carrying His glory as it was in the and the enemy knows this and he hates it. And so he's after destroying us. He's after destroying the image of God in us. So God said to Adam and Eve, he essentially said, I want you to fill the whole earth with my images. I'm giving you the ability and the responsibility to glorify me in all the earth because in you all creation will see me. That's amazing. 
I, I mean, there's times, there's times when uh, in, in the family home, um, I know, I'm just speaking as a father, I will look over at my wife, being a mother, and I watch her tenderness, I watch her compassion, I watch her wisdom, I, I, I watch the way her, I watch her mother, my children, and I am just in awe. Because there's something so beautiful in that. But, you know, there's, it's almost, it's a, it's a reverent moment for me uh, at times. Because I recognize that what I'm actually seeing is part of the heart of God displayed in the way she cares for my children. That's the image of God. And it's the same way. When you watch a father with his kids. I mean, how many of you have ever, how many of you have ever been somewhere and you see... A, a, a young dad or a big strong dad with a little person on their shoulders. I mean, I heard a little bit of a ah, and then you know some, some, some of the girls like you know, you know they responded to the ah. Why is that? Because there's something we look at that we go, that is awesome. That's amazing. Look at that man taking his strength and putting it at the disposal of a little person. Amen. One of, the, one of my favorite things to do when, when my kids were a lot smaller was I would pick them up and, uh, I mean, all dads love to do this. You take your kids and you throw them up. Hey, Mike? It was the best thing. Just like, yeah. I used to love doing it for two reasons. My kids would go, yeah, higher, higher. And Dad would go, stop it. You know, and it got to the stage, I remember one time at church, I was, uh, I was at church, walking into our church in, uh, in East London, and Jemima was really little at that stage. I think we actually caught a photograph of this somewhere. And I just heard this voice say, Dad! And I turned around, and she'd already jumped. <laughs> and literally, I was like, Yes! And I managed to, to catch it. Hey? Yes, bro, she was standing, she jumped on, uh, on a pillar on the... Uh, uh, and I just turned around, there's this girl with white flowing dress, hair flowing up, and she's just launched. Absolute faith that dad would hear and catch her. I want to tell you, when you see things like that, what you are actually seeing is the image of God in the earth. Because you were made in the image of God. Satan hates that image, he hates God. And he hates the image of God. He hates humanity. Satan hates humanity. And he's doing everything he can to destroy man and to destroy the image of God uh, in man. Satan doesn't, uh, or, uh, he wants to erase uh, humanity. And in fact, he wants to remake humanity in his own image. How does he want to do that? Turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 1 and let's have a look at this. Verse 18. And I want you, want you to see the consequence of when Adam and Eve sinned and, and why it was more than just eating a fruit or, um, yeah. For the wrath, of, and we're going to start in verse 18, we're going to read 18 to 23 and then we'll read some more. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, unrighteous, uh, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to uh, to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. Everyone say, for an image. For an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. So, we see here that this is what happened, this is what the, uh, uh, another description of the fall and the consequences of the fall. And it, it could be, it, it is in fact a really great description of the intellectual current of today. You see, it's begi- it begins with the suppression of the truth. When you begin saying there's no such thing as truth, or that truth is re- uh, relative. I want to tell you something. This is going to be a shock to, to many, uh, to, to the intellectual current. Of the- there is no such thing as your truth. There is the truth, and then there's your opinion. Because truth is not um, uh, subjective. Truth is objective. You, you, you know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, um, there's certain laws that we just don't violate because we realize that you can't violate them. Like the law of gravity. You may stand on the top of a building and say, listen, you know what, my personal truth is I do not believe in gravity. I am going to step off this building and because I do not believe in the law of gravity, I am just going to float and fly. You know what will happen to you? You will step off there and you will have a dramatic introduction to the law of uh, of truth and and gravity and you will find yourself resembling a bushman painted. That's what will happen. Your aircraft will reach flat. And it's, it's the same way with the tr- uh, God's truth. And so what happens is, we suppress the truth because the truth is inc- uh, inconvenient. And God has made the tr- uh, truth plain, it says, in three ways. In cre- uh, uh, within them, so conscience, in creation, and then in Christ in the latter days. So the reality is, is inside of us, God has planted eternity in the hearts of men. And instinctively, we know some things are right and some things are wrong. Even the relativist believes that some things are right and some things are, uh, are wrong. All right? We have a conscience. Instinctively, we know that. If you have a conscience, it points to a law. If, it, if there's a law, it points to a lawgiver. It's evidence of God. Secondly, creation speaks about God. The, the reality is, I know that I did not make myself. I come to an awareness of my existence, but I know I didn't make myself. I know even, literally, my mommy and daddy didn't make me. I know I didn't make my, uh, my children either. Uh, listen, I was there when they were created, and it was a fun experience, but I didn't make them. God had to knit them together in the womb. Yes? And then finally, Christ came uh, as the, the third sea, or the third light that God uh, gives me. But then it goes on and says this. It says, verse 21 to 23, 
For though, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their expectations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling uh, creatures. You know, the beginning of wisdom is humility. The, be- the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the, fe- uh, is the fear of God. And so, what, what's happened here, people, they didn't want to humble themselves before God. Instead, they rejected God and they professed to be wise. And they became fools. That word fool, actually, the root word implies someone who's become morally corrupt, who can't think, can't use the brain um, for what the brain is meant to be used for. It doesn't mean to say that they're not intelligent. It doesn't mean to say that they don't have uh, scientific knowledge or, or, uh, or a good IQ. And what it literally means is that they cannot uh, reason accurately. And that, that is a really good picture of our day and age. Our day and age where we, we've come up with these theories of existence that just literally nanoseconds ago in history were so evidently not true. And we claim to have progressed past what is evident and what has been evident for the vast majority of human, uh, human history. And actually what's happened is we've embraced foolishness. We've embraced foolishness in the name of Wisdom, acknowledging God, humility, giving thanks to Him and putting Him at the center is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of coming to a knowledge of the truth. Because when you don't do that, there's no root, there's no foundation on which to understand anything. You see, this is the thing. God, who He is, is our beginning place to rationalize and understand anything, especially ourselves. You can't understand you until you know who God is. And the reason you can't understand you until you know who God is, is because you were made in His image. You, you literally are meant to come to an understanding of who you are by looking at Him and understanding, wow, I'm made in your image. You know, it's, it's one of the... It's one of the most amazing things, again, speaking, using family as a, as a reference point, how you can see things in your kids that you realize, ooh, I know where that came from. And uh, so, like, there's two, two classic examples in, in, in my family. One is something in, the, in our family that we refer to as the Desmond Grunt. Is the Desmond Grunt. And, you know, I didn't even realize I had the Desmond Grunt but when I get irritated, there's this grunt that I, I do. I like, <clears throat> and a little while ago, I can't remember what it was. I, I, I was doing something with my son and I heard him. <clears throat> I was like, wow, I know where that came from. All my kids do it every now and then. I just hear. <clears throat> I'm like, Ooh. You know, the funny thing is, I didn't learn it. I got it from my dad. My dad did. And my dad would grunt just like that. And then another example of, of this is a couple, like a number of years ago. I was driving down the road and I looked at my hand on the steering wheel 
And it was like an out-of-body experience. Because I was looking in my hand and I was sort of like, I, I caressed the steering wheel like this when I'm driving and just thinking. I just like, my, my thumb goes and does these little circles. And I looked at my hand and I was so freaked out for a moment because I had a, a vivid flashback to as a child watching my mum do exactly the same thing on the steering wheel. She would just twiddle her thumb on the steering wheel in exactly the same way. And I realised I never ever made a conscious decision to do that. Just somehow I got there and it was like, you know, my mom's been dead a long time, but it was like, oh, no, no, no. I can what happened there? And you know, it, it's a funny thing how, you know, you can, I can look at me and I can remember things about my, da- uh, my dad because there's some parts of me that I can only understand by referencing who my dad was. In the totality of who you are, you cannot understand who you are unless you will use as your ultimate reference point the God in whose image you have been created. The father of all. The father of all fathers. And male and female, we were created in his image. And then, part of that male and femaleness, he gave us the ability to multiply and be fruitful. And that the whole act of sex was given as part of the image of God in the earth. And that's why when we begin to take sex and we remove it out of the context of the image of God and we make it merely recreational. I'm not saying that recreational sex is not a good thing inside of the context of marriage. Okay? But what I am saying is that when we take this which God created as part of the image of God and we just pull it out of context and we just put it in in life, you actually end up destroying sex itself and the image of God as a people. And I'll prove it to you. Carry on reading in the Word of God. Verse 24. There, so, so you see, what they've done is they've substituted another image. Okay, what's the image that they took? Instead of glorifying God, thanking God, uh, turning their praise to, uh, towards God, it says that they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for another image. For another image. What's the image they decided? For an image made in the form of corruptible man. What does that look like? Where we've gone and we've said, you know what? I'm going to define me. I'll be my own God, thank you very much. I'm going to put the image, me, at the center. And I'll make this image however I want to be. Actually, you know what? I don't think I am a man. I'm going to be a woman. I don't think I am a woman. I'm just going to be a man. Or something in between, or a, a cat, a wolf. Uh, these, these images are happening. You see, the, the, the wild thing is, the wild thing is, is it actually looks here, it says, four-footed animals. Do you know that, I mean, honestly, do you know that right here in Cape Town, there are schools that are making accommodation for people who have decided now that they are cats? 
Now listen, I, I want to just be, I listen, I, I just want to be clear about this. We need to have real compassion for people who have come to a belief system that they believe that they are cast. I'm not, please, please don't be nasty to people like this. Your first duty is to love. Your first duty is to love. But to actually go to those people and say, yes, you are, that is not good. To, to, to um, reinforce what is actually a false image of who they are. That is not right. Okay? But, but this is what happened. They said, you know what? I, I, I don't really identify with humanity. I'm really, I'm going to love cats. I'm going to be a cat. There's, there's, you know, people, there's people who call themselves uh, wolf. I mean, I can't remember the exact name. They, they, they claim to be wolf people and dog people. This, what's actually happened is they've exchanged another image. Now, in a less extreme form, what we've done is we've taken, instead of God, we've made man the image. Corruptible man. Perishable man. And normally, that is yourself. I will give myself my identity. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't. Not only is it Unlawful, it's inaccurate because you're made in the image of God. You will only truly understand how wonderful, awesome, and amazing you are when you look into the face of God and realize you're made in His image. Alright? So what happened was, in, in, in what they've done is they've moved the fixed point of God and they've made themselves the, uh, the, the, uh, the picture. The fruit of idolatry go on. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored amongst them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, that's yourself, very often, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due due penalty of their error. And so, you can see, any time you start, you remove the image of God um, from the centre... The natural consequence of that is that in the area of sex, things just start, it, it starts for, uh, falling apart because sex is not just, a, you know, whatever people do in the privacy of their bedrooms, you know. You, you need to understand it's much, it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm not advocating for criminalizing certain things, but we need to understand clearly as, as Christians that, that sex is more important than just you know, stuff people do. You, you, see, you see what I'm saying? That in actual fact, it's linked to your creative, your creation, destiny and purpose in, uh, in you and carrying the image of God in, uh, in all the earth. And so, the, the fruit of this is sexual impurity, degrading their, uh, uh, their bodies, and I, I want to just be clear about something. Although here it, it talks about women with women, men with uh, men, 
You need to understand that actually broader than this, um, it's not just talking about homosexuality because it talks about, it talks about um, degrading, uh, degrading passions. Um, it talks about, um, it goes further and talks about all other different kinds of sins. Let me just be clear. Sex has a correct function. One man with one woman in the context of marriage. Everything outside of that is, is sin. Sex is meant to be a man and a woman inside of marriage. That's the biblical function of, uh, of sex. It's the biblical context of sex. Anything other than that will actually end up breaking down society, breaking down people, breaking down the image of God. I was reflecting on it as I woke up this morning, and I'm going to end with this because we've got to, I'm going to carry on and next week with the third part of the series. Do you know what the two greatest challenges in the earth are right now? You, if, you, if you wanted to solve probably about 80% of society's problems right now in the earth, if you could instantaneously solve the problem of fatherlessness in the home, you would probably solve criminality, homelessness, drug abuse, so many things. If you could just, if just dads would be around for their kids and speak to it. If you've got, a, you've got a dad in your life, I want to encourage you to go and just have your dad. He might not have been a perfect dad, and no, my kid's uh, dad wasn't, but if he was around, He's done you a huge service just to be there. Just to be there. Speak identity in your life. Say that you love. Champion you and be for you. Because like a huge proportion of people never got this. Right? So, you know, if we could solve fatherlessness, we'd solve it. And I said today, you know the amazing thing is, is women don't abandon their children and then instruct them. No, that's not true. The second great crime of our time is the crime of abortion. Where where actually the enemy has deceived women into killing their own children in the womb. And you know why he's done it? Because he hates the image of God in the earth. He hates the image of God in the earth. We end with this thought though, however. This is the promise of the word of God. That in the last days, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I want to tell you that God is working to reverse the uh, the effects of the fall. I want to tell you that the kingdom of God is coming in all the earth. That we are seeing in this day and age, we are uh, seeing the greatest turning of peoples and entire people groups to Christ to Jesus that we've ever seen. I want to tell you that I believe that the future we are going to see, not only are we going to see massive revival and people turning to Christ, but we're going to see people turning to Christ and then we're going to start seeing the restoration of the family. We're going to see the restoration of fatherhood, the restoration of motherhood in the nation. And you know what will happen then? Is that people will carry the glory of God. See, the glory of God, the glory of God, it's not just a silvery, you know, it's not just a glory cloud, uh, you know, glitter hovering in the air. No, the greatest glory of God is people manifesting Jesus in all the earth. 
Everything else is just great. The miraculous, everything else is just great. The glory of God is people in the image of God, manifesting God in all the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word says that you are restoring all things to yourself. And Lord, I ask that you would give us an even deeper revelation of how we are made in your image. And every person that we will ever make, even if they don't like you, even if they have turned their back on you, even if they believe you hate them, and even if they hate you, they are deeply loved by you, made in your image. Help us to treat all humanity like that. Having said that, Lord, help us also, Lord, to know the truth and to walk in the truth, to live the truth and to build on the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Nigel Desmond. For more information, please visit nigelanddebbie.org.